welcome to Escape the Dark, a Last of Us fan podcast. Uh, I am your one of your hosts, uh, Navar. I'm with my lovely friend, Indrani, and we are prepared, excited, so sad. Um, so sad. <laughs> so ready to talk about this episode. Uh, sorry for the late arrival. We've had some stuff going on in life, but um, yeah, we get to have this journey with us about this beautiful beautiful episode before we get into it though hold on yes. you didn't even wait for me to clap all you right yeah didn't we didn't even count <laughs> down you can't just clap <laughs> no 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 okay let's do it three two one you okay <laughs> um you took a full second pause between your one and your uh anyway <laughs> moving on um as as always, I say, as we've had two episodes that are about actual uh, episodes of the show, um, we're going to do our spoiler-free review. Would you like to go first again? Yes. Okay. Um, no notes. <laughs> a real, a true 10 out of 10, That one that I don't think I can dock points from something that i've done in the last two episodes is like once we've talked about it i'm like oh you know actually i changed my mind mm-hmm. i watched this multiple times to be like i don't want to be that person i don't want to <laughs> you know change my mind after i've given it a rating and yeah, yeah, yeah. I-, I feel like this time i'm gonna stick to it like yeah. genuinely 10 out of 10 yeah. um a beautiful little self-contained story i think that is just such a it's a love story, right? And there's something just very comforting about a good love story. And I yeah. think this episode manages to create that very well. And the fact that it creates it with middle-aged, you know, gay characters, it, it there's just this gap I feel generally in life of having that kind of content to consume, uh, to consume. and that's changed over time. But mm-hmm. um, just having this little piece of art fills that hole in my heart so well yeah um yeah it's a beautiful celebration of love and yeah 10 out of 10 what about you (laughs) yeah 10 out of 10 um i think i was explaining it to somebody in that this episode you could take parts of it out um specifically the parts about joel and ellie without getting into spoilers Mm -hmm. and what's left is like this beautiful art film about love yes like literally you could show this to somebody with no context and they would have a fully encapsulated story and i think that that's really beautiful um the story itself is amazing the acting so good the writing so good um i'll just say uh we I know I listened to the official Last of Us podcast just to hear, um, because there's a lot of stuff that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that could have gone wrong with this episode. And I wanted to hear how they handled those sort of, um, obstacles. And it was, it was amazing to hear like what they did to make sure this was, this episode was handled correctly. Um, so yeah, as far as spoiler free reviews go, uh, 10 out of 10. It's so good. It's an, I mean, yeah, watch the whole fucking show, but you could literally watch just this episode. And even if you're like, Ooh, I don't like all this 
um, you know, fungal monster stuff, like you would mostly be really fine uh, with a lot of this. Yeah, so. I would genuinely if there's someone in your life who you want to experience The Last of Us with, but can't for whatever reason in, in that they don't like it, it's not their type of mm. thing. Totally understandable. If you could just get them for this episode, I think just that's... Yeah, I watched it with just my partner. And um, there were times where I would just like pull, like physically pull him closer to myself and just be like, no, let me hold you to this whole <laughs> yeah. thing. And and not in the, oh, I'm scared way, but in the, yeah. well, I'm really grateful in this mm-hmm. moment kind of way. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think, um, I don't want to spoil anything. So I'm just going to say, if you're only going to listen to this part again, just watch the show. So you know, <laughs> I don't. There might not be anybody who'd only listen to this part, but I'm just gonna. I'm talking to you if you are that person. Um, check the content warnings because there are some things that would be different than the other episodes, and I think most of, of the other episodes in the show. Um, I will explain that further when we get into spoilers. But uh, for now, it's an amazing episode. Um, you've probably been bombarded with people's opinions on twitter hopefully you have the right timeline and um the people that are bombarding it are happy and love this just like we did um but yeah uh check it out it's amazing i don't i don't think i can say anything else without really digging into this so, so let's do that let's <laughs> dig let's into it. it um by spoiler free people we'll miss uh, you we miss you we love you thank you for the listen no cold open. <laughs> no cold open. Um, yeah, which was, but that said, okay, real quick, content warning. If you're listening, moving forward, oh, yes, this episode covers um, assisted suicide, and so that's very important for the context of what's going to happen. Because um, if that's something that's trigger for you i think you should know that before you listen to us go on and on and on about this story and then get uh, emotionally involved like we did so yes um yeah so no cold open instead we got this uh really like tender but also tense moment (laughs) of how it starts out um with we start out the following day after last episode left off of tess um dying in the explosion and Joel is building a uh, cairn, I think is the way it's pronounced, basically mm-hmm. like stacking stones um, in, presumably in her honor. You can see his hands all beat up and yeah. Yeah. It, it, it feels like this moment of quiet self-reflection, but also the resurfacing of guilt in a way, in the sense that this person is once again, like failed to save a person yeah. he cares for. And yeah, it's 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 nice to like have that moment where you just see Joel by himself and like he's very visibly experiencing things. Because mm-hmm. when you see him around Ellie later on in that scene, there's that, you know, that wall is back up, right? The mask yes. is back on. And yeah. it's nice to like see that sort of shift happen as he walks back to her mm-hmm. um, and she's got her own set of you know emotions going on in this whole yeah. sequence um, yeah. but I love their 
interaction here because I, I I don't know if I said this in the last episode, but I feel like in the game and even in the show, the moment Tess dies, it's like the training wheels come off. Like there is yeah. no leader. There is no like third person who's holding you all to like holding the two of them together. It's just them now and that they have to interact with each other. There's no like way around it. Yeah. Yeah. And watching that start to happen is quite interesting, I think. Yeah, for sure. He comes back and he's like obviously very withdrawn. Uh he had given Ellie his jacket, which I think was like it was just like a like a sweet like I'm still gonna like take care of you thing, like in this very quiet way. Um and he like takes the tiniest bite of jerky uh <laughs> throws throws it at her um and there's this really like interesting moment where she starts to talk and he cuts her off and he's like i don't want you to apologize and she's like i'm not fucking apologizing to you yeah like, i didn't ask to be here and you didn't ask to take me like you agreed to do this thing it's not my fault that test died Interestingly enough, I don't believe that she believes it's not her no. fault. It's very much like a like a I'm fronting just so like you don't yeah. like yeah. just so I'm not emotionally vulnerable to you, but yeah, you can very much Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it it zeroes in on her face when she says those things, right? That it's not my yeah. fault. And you can see that like you don't believe that. You 100% think that this is your fault and you 100% feel like another person has died trying to, I don't know, get you to safety or mm-hmm. by being around you. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, and like it, it's, it's interesting because it's like, on the one hand, it shows like there's still this insecurity here. And on the other hand, it's like, even with the insecurity, it's still a very mature thing to say to break it all down because mm-hmm. objectively it's true. Like, yes. Even if, even if she does feel guilty, it's still true that's not her fault. Um, and so it's like a very interesting moment uh, from this young person to be able to like go through, like, I know what I'm supposed to say here and I need to say this out loud to you and I'm not going to let you put any more guilt on me than I already have on myself. Um, so yeah, I really love that. And. Uh, yeah, go ahead. You know, after have they they have that interaction, there's this quick conversation about how long is it gonna take? Mm-hmm. And it's what a five hour hike. And there's this like very shut off sense of her being like, Yeah, we can manage that. But mm-hmm. you it cuts to them on their hike and like she's immediately just trying to have conversations with him <laughs> and trying to just like you know, get to know him, asking him about his car, giving him shit for like, I don't know, not being a good shooter or just <laughs> it, like, you know, busting his balls for no reason. And yeah. I think that's like a really good characterization of Ellie. I think in the game, she's a lot more shy even after Tessa's death. Like you don't see this immediate sort of jump into her being conversational. Yeah. But I don't think that would have necessarily worked in the context of a story that you're just watching because in the game you're constantly doing things so that silence doesn't always feel so loud but 
here i think the fact that she's trying to interact and like you know trying to have some sort of rapport with him is is valuable and i enjoy seeing this characterization of ellie what did you yeah. think yeah no definitely i think like i mean because we talked about this before in the terms of an adaptation and like a lot i what the things that i really love about the show so far is like like i talked about before like the efficiency like here are things that just won't work on a tv show we're going to be very efficient about this stuff here's stuff that doesn't work in a game but really can matter in a show where people are emotionally involved and you have the time to have these conversations and those things come forward and it's like yeah you in the game you're stressed out about everything around the corner because in these three episodes like in game time these are multiple hours of like really big fights and like really scary intense moments and we don't have a lot of that intensity um throughout every episode and so it's like one that wouldn't be as entertaining for what this uh story is and two like it's it's just more important for us to have these characterizations so what is it like on the road right it's hard to imagine ellie and joel just never talk to each other and so if we know ellie's personality is how does that manifest in these conversations with joel and it's this constant like negging him to like what is yeah. you know what's going on with this what's going on with this are you a bad shot is that why you got shot in the face <laughs> um you know and and all of these things and it's like and it builds up to, to this um these moments of like him slowly getting worn down a little bit and um and the vulnerability that they have like kind of uh opening up to each other and i think that that's really cool um um, we had a conversation. I, and, oh, go ahead. I, I will point out that um, there are multiple instances so far of Ellie asking for a gun and being yes. denied one. <laughs> and even on that. Still a recurring theme. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah. Yeah, because he's got, he's got his... Uh, um, pistol. Yeah, he's got his pistol and he has a, an assault rifle. rifle. I don't know yeah. what model it is, but um, th- I saw a I saw a meme that was like, all of the Last of Us players upset that Joel unlocked the assault rifle so early in the story, uh, <laughs> True. which is funny. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll soon find what he does with that. But yeah, so he, um, so yeah, he's got these two guns, and Ellie's like, "Well, it's a long walk, like you know." And he's like, "No." And every time he already knows what she's asking for, he comes. He's like tracking her eyes, like looking at this uh, pistol, and um, knows what she wants. And so, yeah, it's. It's it's really fun, but yeah, they they come across an airplane, which obviously, like Ellie's never been on an airplane, um, and they have a conversation about that. And so, like, what this hike ends up being, it's like all these different conversations about um, the past, and Joel filling in the pieces for Ellie, who is like the audience stand-in, about what it was like uh, before the uh, outbreak and during these 20 years now that uh he's been out like smuggling and stuff mm-hmm. right before they um find the airplane um and you know all the dead uninfected people mm-hmm. um they they walk into this little store and oh yeah uh, joel's like got something stashed 
and he's forgotten where it is. And while he's looking for it, Ellie does a little bit of exploring of her own and like finds this like basement like situation where she climbs down to and that's like very ballsy. But I like that they show that she's a smart kid. Like the first thing she does is pull up um, a trash can so that she has an easy escape back out. Yeah. Um, And something that I loved. That I'm just gonna point out. <laughs> yes, high in low is is Ellie's vibe, hundred yeah. percent. Um, I love that they actually show that she's excited to get a box of tampons because yeah. I don't often see like apocalypse media really tackling the fact that oh, women bleed every single month out of their vagina, and it's a fucking problem. <laughs> Like the only other thing yeah. I've seen that in is um, the show called Yellow Jackets that I've been mm. watching, um, which is another like lost esque stranded on a different kind of thing, and yeah. um, it's nice. I always I'm like, yeah, thank you. That does yeah. sound like it's a problem, <laughs> but you know the levity of that aside, um, something interesting that I've been seeing in Ellie in like this characterization of Ellie that I think sets up the last of us part two really well um, is her affinity for violence and her sort of like curiosity towards it. Um, And it first happens in, you know, the episode where um, Joel kills the Fedra uh, agent who's, you know, keeping them from escaping the, Mm quarantine zone and she watches him like punch this man to death with this sort of like fervent like fascination fascination right and like this appreciation for a person doing that for her and then in this episode while she's down in this basement she finds an infected a runner who's like trapped under so much rubble that they cannot move Mm -hmm. and she knowing that it's not really that big of a threat walks over to it and just like toys with it yeah that that sort of role reversal of like predator and prey happens in the sequence that's very interesting to me she like cuts a little slit in the infected's head and like you see that like really gross fungal growth inside and she just watches and like it's weird like this the infected looks terrified Mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain it, but yeah, it's got like it like the actor who did it did a very good job of like the face stays still, but the eyes are like constantly watching and like look at the knife and see the knife coming at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's super fascinating uh, the way they did it. Yeah, and then it's like it it just switches like there's this like moment of like this very slow like cut, and then she just like stabs it in the yep. head and ends it. Yeah, um, a very abrupt and. Yeah, it it really is uh interesting in this way because like I think I think it makes sense for Ellie's character, but I I think this uh show is doing it in a much more overt way um than the game ever did. Uh, hmm. and I think that part of that is just because of like how we interact with violence in games like i think neil Druckmann talked about that like in games it's just so easy for us to be like oh yeah cool like here comes 10 enemies i'm gonna kill all of them in a show it's such a different thing because it's like we're seeing a live person there so um i think it helps to 
like dig deep into characterization of how Ellie feels about violence and how she acts towards it. Um, and really like kind of puts perspective on like, what is Joel thinking? Because he's seeing her eagerness to take a gun. Like, yeah. You know, this 14 year old kid really wants a gun really bad and doesn't necessarily understand, doesn't seem to understand necessarily the responsibility around that and what that means and what violence, what Ellie doing violence means for her. Joel gets it and doesn't ever expand on it and just says, no, um, maybe a conversation might've helped, uh, the situation. Maybe. Yeah, but he's not really experienced as of that, right? Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, sad rip, uh, <laughs> RIP. So, yeah, uh, but yeah, so it's like you know, there's these these incredible characterization moments around this, and so like I really just love how they're doing that and how, um, his denial for her, this rebellious teen, turns into these different acts of like finding ways to to find an outlet for that so yeah. yeah um i will touch on the fact that the game i i i feel like our interaction with violence and the way we perceive and are affected by it changes based on the medium mm-hmm. um and with games i think i'm often more comfortable with the idea of violence and not in the sense that oh games make people violent sort of thing but in the sense that like it is an expectation of a medium um when i'm playing certain types of games and i'm like yeah these are enemies that i need to get out of my way i have an objective to get to mm-hmm. um but i still think that the last of us and to a much bigger extent the second game does a great job of illustrating the sort of visceral nature of you know killing somebody like a great example of that i think from the first game is the fact that when you're trying to stealthily take down a person you you hold on to them and you like try to choke them out of breath and like it takes a lot of time and and you can like feel them struggling and you can hear them like it it doesn't feel like a quick like you know one and done kind of job it's like you need to sit with what you're doing in this moment every time you choose to take someone down like that. And I think it's such a great narrative choice for this game. Um, And surely like the show expands on that, like idea of um, the cycle of violence in, in a very different way, which I'm enjoying watching that. Yeah. Anyway, just a quick little. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. They, they really do a great job. And the second game is much more, the second game really makes you think about violence. Um, yes. In a lot of ways. In other ways, it's just like, yeah, this is a thing. This is a fun mechanic. And, but in some ways it's like, oh yeah, this is shit. All right, cool. Um, but yeah, so, so here we have another instance where it's like, okay, he, he gets into his stash and then he's putting the assault rifle away. And he's like, wait, what are you doing? Like, there's two of us. I can use a gun. He's like, no, like there's not a lot of ammo for this gun. Um, just like it's it's basically useless. So I'm just gonna hide it for now. And uh Ellie is like, upset again because <laughs> she wants a gun. Um yeah, and then and then they continue walking. Uh we get some context for um for the world because uh I think Ellie's like asking, like, oh well where are all of the infected 
or was it like on outbreak day? And and so he like breaks it down and you can tell mm-hmm. like this memory sits so vividly in his mind. He knows like down to the day, uh, to the time, like this is when things happened. Um, and explains like, yeah, like nobody really knows what happens, but we think, um, you know, the cordyceps mutated mm-hmm. and, well, that's, yeah, because she says like, well, if somebody had to get, if somebody gets bit and that's how they get infected, like how do the first people get infected? So yeah. he talks about it and he's like, yeah, you know, like, and there's certain brands that are sold all around the world, certain foods, uh, like bread and he pauses and is like pancake mix. God, I bet it's fucking Nestle that's responsible yeah, for the outbreak you, in Nestle. this world. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, Nestle. This podcast is not sponsored by Nestle. Um, yeah. And so they, it, it's really interesting, like this conversation, because this is a, another moment where it's like, okay, Ellie keeps asking questions all the time. Like he even tells her at one point, like, you ask a lot of fucking questions, don't you? <laughs> and, um, and she keeps asking questions. And this is a time where it's like, okay, he's finally like, all right, I'm going to tell you about this situation that happened. And so he breaks it down of like how um, it happened and how quickly everything went bad. Um, and then he tries to like convince her like, Hey, uh, let's go through the forest. And they're like on this main road, the road's open. Like there's nothing. Um, and we, we learn more about how Joel is just not good at lying on the spot. I am <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> you trying to like tell somebody to do something and then being like, but why? And I'm like, I, the only answer I can give you is honesty. And that's, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're just going to want to do it. Uh, but yeah. He he's like, uh, I don't want you to see what's up here. She's like, well, now I kind of fucking see it. Like, yeah. You tell me it's an axe murder next time. <laughs> <laughs> Which I feel like she also be like, cool, let's check it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, like to Ellie, like as we're saying, like all of this is just it's just fucking rad. Like it, she's out in the world. She's getting to explore. She's getting to like experience things that she could never experience in a quarantine zone, especially at like a federal school. And for her, this is just an exciting adventure. Um, Even with the consequences, you can still see like there's that emotion of excitement has taken over uh, the thoughts of like what else could be going on. So, Mm -hmm. And Um, as the two of them are observing like this, so we talked about this plane crash earlier. That's, you know, the reason Joel doesn't want her to see this path is because you see the sort of like decayed bones of people who were basically um, on a plane to be evacuated. But because there wasn't space in the QZs, the quarantine zones, they were just killed as a way to save resources. And it zooms in on this really pretty but worn out like fabric with rainbows on it mm-hmm. that you can tell belongs to an infant child. Yeah. And then it transitions back to September 2003 mm-hmm. with a mother holding a little infant baby wearing like that swaddled cloth. And I was like, oh, I hate this so much. It's too much. <laughs> Um, thankfully they don't do that to us. Uh, yeah. what we get instead is our introduction to Bill. So Bill, uh, Joel's friend, 
quote unquote uh, friend Michael question mark. mark. Yeah. Um, is, Friends with, I don't know, like, sorry. My brain yeah, is no, like, Bill, not friends. <laughs> yeah, I'm like trying to think. Bill doesn't really have friends. Um, but yeah, so we we see these people, this same mother and infant, um, getting loading up onto this uh, transport for Fedra. And then it like goes down and you see like this bunker, all these guns and computers and all this stuff. And here's this long-haired, bearded prepper watching surveillance cameras as Fedra's like in his house trying to find him. Can I just say that I love... So the first thing we hear from Bill is just him going, not today, you New World Order jackboot fucks. And I'm like, yes, I love you. And a great story that um, Craig Mason, I think, says on the podcast is um, the fact that this was meant to be like an internal thought that Bill is supposed to have. And Nick Offerman, who plays brilliantly, looked at the script and was like, I'm going to say that out loud. And Craig Mason does a great impression of Nick Offerman. So oh go God. listen to that episode. It's, it's pretty spot on. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, yeah. It, it, and so, yeah, so he's like clearly prepared for this day. And so he listens to them all leave and drive off. And then he goes up and he's like full on gas mask, shotgun, has his pistol at his side. He's got like all of his tack gear on uh, out of his secret bunker in his house. And like, goes outside looks around and like everybody's gone and immediately goes into like yeah this is my town motherfuckers (laughs) (laughs) i uh, love the smile before he gets to business and it's the funniest montage because like this music kicks in and like you just see a scene of him like stealing a neighbor's yacht and turning it into like a thing that he drags around with his truck and like just starts filling up with gasoline and and like you know, just goes to Home Depot and just gets a bunch of shit that he needs. The electricity goes out. And so he goes and like, it just, it's such a funny sequence. And I think the fact that like a comic actor was pulled into play the role of Bill just makes so much sense to me. Like it, 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 it makes me think of like what um, Brian Cranston is to Walter White in a way, like this really, this guy known for comedy who's taken on this like serious role, but like sees the absurd nature of the premise and, and can play off of that. Um, yeah. It's so good. Yeah. He does an amazing job and it's like, but I think what this scene really does well too, is like, it is like one, it's a montage. They're playing like classical rock. Um, we have this idea of this guy who's a prepper uh, with all his guns, like second amendment, like, I bleed America type deal. And it paints a picture of a guy um, that creates a situation in your head of like, I know who this person is. Yeah. I've I've seen and avoided this dude at the hardware store. Um, And so I love that, that it creates this characterization for people who aren't familiar with who Bill is because it really sets up some amazing stuff um, for the next scene. Yes. Yeah. So we get this incredible characterization. And then uh, we also have a scene of like, he basically, he sets up the town, like it it turns it into his town. This is Lincoln, uh, which I don't actually know if it's a real place or not, but it's a place in the game. Um, It's actually called Billstown. 
geographically. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he turns it into Billstown because he like fences it all off. He sets up traps and alarms everywhere. Uh, we get this like really funny scene of like he like really loves to cook, and he's like eating his his dinner. And he hears an alarm, and we just see this uh, uh, infected like walk into one of his traps. Uh, and just get like get... fucking shot in the face, <laughs> yeah. and like that's his like mealtime entertainment, which is yes. like again a lot of like silent character building because he's not really talking to anybody he's not said anything beyond the first sent like the only thing we've heard him say <laughs> is, is that iconic line and yeah. honestly i want to tattoo on my foot <laughs> i know and um, here and here he says never gets old uh, yeah <laughs> um which so, again implies the passage of some time by this point right yeah yeah because yeah. i think it, this is is this our first time jump is it three three or four years so yes we have our first time jump after this so we have a time jump and then uh trap goes off and um if you recall from listening to our trailer uh indrani and i were like we don't know who this person is paused on the screen and then we played it and we're like <laughs> oh both of us yeah this is this yeah is us realizing <laughs> oh shit it's frank um it's frank it's Frank. So Frank falls in the hole. Uh, Frank is a stranger to Bill at this point, and um, a beautiful just, looking stranger. <laughs> just a, can I just say, just a beautiful bearded man. Um, and he, uh, Bill walks up and is like, he's got a shotgun out. He's ready, um, and he's like, I'm not affected. And he's like, Are you alone? And he, he's like, Well, there was more of us, but I am alone now. He's like, "Are you armed?" And he like takes a while to answer. He's like, "No." He's like, "Why'd you take so long?" He's like, "I was gonna lie, but I I, I couldn't think of anything." So, um, and he kind of has like a quick conversation with them, and uh, he's like pleading, like, "I just I just want to get to Boston. I'm hungry." Um, and oh, so he Bill makes lets, sure that he's obviously not infected. Otherwise, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Bill lets down a ladder. He apparently took a Fedra scanner. Uh, for the infection from mm-hmm. somebody at some point and uh and scans him and uh they have this conversation and it's really interesting like there's this dynamic of like this paranoid like you know gun toting fuck these new world order jackboot guy and this like very like um charismatic like open outgoing person who's like trying to like calm bill down and uh and it's just like i just want food if you got it and to go yeah (laughs) there is a moment in that interaction where um you see this hesitation on phil's face when Mm -hmm. frank sort of pleads that he let him in and maybe give him some food and this very subtle smile on frank's face Right before it cuts to you know him being invited into their house, into well Bill's house, um, and it's one of those things as a queer person that mm-hmm. I immediately clocked, and I was <laughs> like, he knows <laughs> that you're gay. <laughs> he knows already. He it took already. him like one interaction, um, and and. What commences afterwards, like, you know, while Bill gets him food, allows him to shower. Um, so, yes, you immediately clocked this, this yeah. thing. Um, 
I feel like my, I'll say this, watching it, I obviously knew who they were and what their relationship is because of the game, which Mm -hmm. is characterized completely differently in the game, to be clear. Like, you understand that they're a couple at a certain point, but it's a very different characterization. Yeah, big pivot. Yeah. Um, But all that to say, I'm watching this. So I'm watching um, uh, Murray Bartlett, the actor, portray Frank. And I'm seeing this, but I think like for me, it's like I'm picking up on his charisma and his character and I'm not, and I'm missing that. Like, so I'm, I'm trying to figure it out like when it happened and I feel like it happened, but like I noticed it later on and I'm mm-hmm. to this, I've watched this episode three times and I still think I'm still so blown away by how forward <laughs> Frank is. Um, Which, not in a bad way. It's just like, incredible. honestly, it's like everybody's dead. You know, yeah. just fucking shoot your shot. It's fine. Um, That's true. That's there's so four true. occasions where he like fucking clocks Bill as a gay man, and it's they're all just beautifully executed moments. <laughs> the first one is that very first interaction, and yeah. after that, um, they you know, Bill you know reluctantly invites Frank in, who he seems to find to some degree, you know, attractive. And yeah. there's this like sort of um, almost teenage like, <laughs> like shyness, trepidation. Yeah. yeah, trepidation that he has around Frank. So like Frank takes a shower, he leaves some clothes, and he's just like so awkward about it. It's like it, it makes my toes curl in like oh my god, I'm so <laughs> this is so cute <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then he serves Frank a meal, and it's this beautiful fucking like out of a restaurant kind of plated yeah. meal that he puts down. It's rabbit. And he serves it with this particular bottle of wine. And I don't know enough about wines to know if this is a good choice or not. But Frank notes that, oh, rabbit and this particular wine, that's, you know, you're a man who knows to make this pairing. And Bill's like, I know I don't seem the type. And then Frank, without missing a beat, just goes, no. <laughs> You do. And he's like, okay. And he just like sits down and they have this wonderful meal. And and Frank is just like blown away the whole time by just the ridiculousness of having this hot, delicious meal with like perfectly paired wine in a fucking apocalypse. Like this is just it like if you if he didn't know better, it would feel like a fever dream, but it doesn't. Bill lives different. Bill lives like a normal, like if it's actually 2023 maybe um, you should be a prepper like honestly this was I, this was that, prepper was propaganda convincing. Yeah, yeah it was pretty convincing for me i was like i maybe i should learn how to make some traps <laughs> um yeah but like i think another brilliant thing is like so the, he takes a shower um, which when i was watching the first time i was like they're having this like they're trying to communicate through the shower or through the bathroom door and I was like, is this going to be a thing? Like, Bill's going to be like, what? I can't hear you. And then, like, <laughs> goes in and sees him, like, in the shower and, like, has this, like, oh, shit, like, moment. Uh, they didn't do that. But uh, that's what I was thinking was going to happen. And it was pretty funny. Um, but, yeah, as he's waiting for Bill to come out, Bill's house is dusty. Like, it's well taken care of, but it's not, like, neat. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and And Frank immediately notices, like, oh, like, there's you're doing a great job obviously but there are things here that like clearly aren't even on your radar um it 
it's a very like clear juxtaposition of a person who cares about how they live and a person mm-hmm. who's just surviving and who yeah who is literally just living um yeah another thing i really loved especially after like a rewatch is there's they do they have like camera on one person and they're sitting across the table from each other mm-hmm. but they also have these shots that are like in this open um this big open wall. doorway yeah, yeah. and you can see the entire table and both of them at one either end of the table and it's just so good of like there's this distance and this like stiffness um to bill and it's just incredible again we are amateur we are not even amateur uh film critics we just love this shit uh yeah it was one of those things where i was like i don't know much about this but i know i fucking love that shot and it looks yeah. good and it makes yeah. me feel things um yeah, and then they they finish. Bill offers him more food, uh, to which he denies. And he he's been like staring at this piano. Yes. And he asks, he's like, "Okay, I will leave now." Um, and Bill, like, kind of just like he's like, "Yeah, okay," but he doesn't like. There's no urgency to it anymore. There's no real heart to him being like yeah i get the fuck out of my house yeah. it's just like he just kind of like nods his head like yep that seems like the thing to do now yeah. at this time he's uh, crushing so hard that he knows it's a bad <laughs> idea so he's like yeah, yeah. you should <laughs> yeah uh and and he's like but before i go go ahead the third clock this is the one um where he you know goes over to the piano and yeah. and he's like pulls open like the little seat under which you keep all the like notation books and he's like going through all of them and like comments on how some of them are just so drab and not (laughs) at all like he's like he literally says like this thing yuck and then he pulls out the specific one and he's like no 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 this is more you and um what song is it that Uh, he chooses to play it's called long long time that's yeah yeah, um, I'm, that's the name of the episode. <laughs> yeah, it's the name of the episode. And he, again, that's the third clock where he's like, this is more you. And I'm like, oh my God, just, mm-hmm. I I love the constant reinforcement of this guy just trying to, he's like, I know, I'm just trying to confirm my theory <laughs> yeah, before yeah. I act on it. And here's the thing, Mur- Murray Bartlett is just, A, I love him from White Lotus to see him in this. I was just like, yes. You're the yeah. best. Um, and B, he's apparently like a wonderful singer and knows how to play the piano really Pianist, well. Yeah. yeah. And he just does such a shit job at playing this song it's so that, the, yeah, it's so well done. Um, that that Bill has to be like, okay, no, stop, stop. Like you can hear, like you can see the pain in <laughs> on Bill's face because he's like, please, you're ruining something beautiful. <laughs> Um, and there's an implication to Bill's tone that he can do better, mm-hmm. and and then Frank has a sort of like challenging, like, well, then you do it, and then I'll yeah. leave. Yeah, and he sits down to play, mm-hmm. and the mood goes from like this, you know, funny, like jovial tension to like a very somber, vulnerable space, mm-hmm. and. Fucking shout out to Nick Offerman, dude. What the dude. fuck? Yeah. Came out of nowhere with that shit. I was... I know. Like... Ugh. Yeah. 
we talked about a lot about like the opposites of them and the mm-hmm. way I think like obviously in the way that they're portrayed too, but like even in this moment, because when uh, Frank sits down to play, it's like very fast. Like even, even if he wasn't playing it badly, he was still playing the tempo faster than what Bill wanted to play. And so when Bill sits down, it goes from like this, like kind of like sounds like it should be an upbeat song. And it's like this very like tender, slow song. Mm -hmm. And um, he sings it, he gets into it. You can see like, emotionally he's being taken over by this music um frank is like crying tears as it's being played and then we get the last moment (laughs) the final confirmation yeah uh where frank says to him who's the girl who's the girl you're singing about and bill's like there was no girl he's like i know and then they kiss forward ass frank sits down on the (laughs) piano chair with him and puts his mouth on Bill's <laughs> mouth, and um, and yeah, they kiss. Uh, and it's unlike the um kiss from the last episode. All right, let's not even fucking talk about. It. Let's not ruin this. <laughs> this fucking one episode. is actually like full of like, oh yeah, this is actually like a really good thing. So, um, interestingly, Nick <laughs> is apparently straight. Um, uh, the actor who plays Bill, um, and. So I, I don't know. I don't know how much of like the uh, timidness and the like nervousness and the stiffness came from like this him kissing um, Marie on set, or like if it was just like putting his all into the acting and he just didn't care about that. But like it, it looked like this person is very nervous about being kissed mm-hmm. uh, and has no confidence in this in this moment. Yes, let's take this moment to actually talk about. Um, first of all, yes, Nick Offerman, I believe, is straight. Um, and so is Craig Mason, who has written the show and this episode particularly as well. Yes. And Craig Mason talks a little bit about like the idea of representation and how, what it means to do that in a meaningful way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, one of the first things he points out is that a lot of the crew members for this particular episode were middle-aged gay people, right? And middle-aged, even the director, yeah. Um, and a lot of their input was like constantly taken when, when, when um, you know, writing the episode, when filming it, and a lot of um, homework was done by Nick Offerman going into this episode. However, I do love the fact that he can bring that like vulnerability of someone doing something that they've never done before as a person as well as a character the yeah. only difference being that this character never really got the chance to explore it because i mean this apocalypse happens before like the first gay rights bill gets passed in the state so like yeah 2003 yeah yeah so there's no like you know big leaps happening for lgbtqia people in this timeline right the Mm -hmm. world just ends before any of that can even go through so like this fucking like second amendment just (laughs) dude who just doesn't know how to contend with the fact that he is you know attracted to men just never gets any sort of like external 
um, resolution or external validation for who he is and why that's completely okay, why yeah. he should be allowed to embrace it. So like having that on one end for the character and having a actor who, you know, isn't fucking gay, like it's just like as straight as they come, like both have this inexperience that they can draw from. And Nick Offerman just plays it so beautifully. And on the other hand, Murray Bartlett is, you know, a married middle-aged gay man and has experience, you know, just from his own life, but also from like playing a plethora of um gay characters for hbo specifically apparently (laughs) um that he brings into the role so you you see that dance of just someone extremely experienced both as a person and perhaps even as a character as opposed to someone completely inexperienced both as a person and as a character and Mm -hmm. i think it's just this beautiful symphony to watch and there's this like tenderness to the way frank treats bill and I think the way Murray treats Nick in that scene, that just, honest to God, like I cried because it was just so, oh, yeah. my heart. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they did a great job. Yeah. Truly. Um, I didn't like, that was one of the first things I noticed was the, sh- as the credits were going, seeing that it was directed by a different person, I was like, but they brought in a third person. Um, and I didn't understand why until obviously the end of the the episode. But I think like, yeah, it really was important. But um, it's, God, I mean, yeah, we're going to get into a bunch of, of of beautiful and intense scenes. So yeah, so he he kisses him and he's like, mind you, Frank just took a shower. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> and then ate food. And so he tells Bill, he's like, um, I need you to go take a shower real quick. <laughs> And Bill's like, yep, okay, yeah. Um, and th- yeah, th- so they there's a, a, a love scene. I don't know how deep we need to get into this, but they Yeah, have they have sex, love. yeah. Yeah, and uh, and um, Frank like talks to him about like his experiences with it and like kind of like walks him through what's going to happen. Um, again, Frank is very forward. Um, and <laughs> Okay. I think it's great. Um, so, you know, when... Bill leaves the shower and he has this like towel wrapped around him and he walks over to the bed and again looks very hesitant. He's like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. And like Frank just leans over and like just Frank's, hang on, wait. Frank's already in the bed yeah. naked. <laughs> Which I love. Um he's and, prepared. He's, yeah. Who's the real prepper here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and he just like fucking like unhooks the towel as um Bill's, you know, like you can see Bill's face just being like, "What am I doing? What am I doing?" And before, like Bill really has a chance to, um, you know, hesitate. Frank just like, "We're just gonna commit to it." Um, yeah, and I love that. And I think, as an audience, as people watching the episode, it is natural to be like, "Oh, he might be doing this because look at what he's gonna get out of being here." You know, yeah, safe place to stay really good food, blah, blah, blah. And like immediately Frank, who's very self-aware in that moment, just points it out like, hey, not a whore. (laughs) And if we do, like, I was like, yes, I love you, Frank. Set those boundaries. And he just says that if we do this, I'm not going to do it for like, you know, a free meal, even if it's a really good meal. 
Yeah. Like I will stay for a few days. This means something to me and it is not transactional. Yeah. And Bill, you know, agrees and and then Frank goes to town. It's great. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And then um smash cut into them yelling at each other on the street. Three years um, later. Three years later. Uh mm-hmm. and they are arguing about something that gets hinted at in that first scene of them together of the idea of what their roles are. And Bill, his role in their relationship is to take care of Frank and where they live. Yes. And Frank loves things to look nice and to be nice and to have friends. Like we already, like you immediately understand like this is a person who is an extrovert, who is outgoing, who is charismatic and wants to be around people. And who nurtures. Like, I think that's a great word for Frank. The person who showcases love. He literally says it. Like this is how we show love is by caring for the thing, like for what's around us. And I'm going to get sappy for a second. Um, okay. And I, I, I'm always that cheesy little fucker with my partner who'll be like, "Oh, who's who in this dynamic?" Like I'll be like, and, and it's always funny because like there's always parallels to pull, right? But um, I've never felt more like seen in a relationship than I did with like Frank and Bill, like. Yeah. People can't see this, but Noir can see me right now. And there's a bunch of plants behind me. Yeah. And I have plants all over the house. And my partner, who was like, why are we getting 20 plants? Just get one. And I was like, no, I'm going to fucking commit and I'm going to do it. And he was so resistant to the idea when he did it. But then when I did, he was like, oh, it's quite nice. And, um, when I have like really bad depressive days, I can't like water the plants. Mm-hmm. And he'll be like, I'll water the plants. And now he's the one who's sometimes be like, have you watered the plants today? If not, I'll do it. Yeah. And it's that like push and pull of someone who's very like, I, we don't need to add things to our life that mm-hmm. don't serve function. Yeah. And this other person who's very much like, I want to fill my life with, you know, bells and whistles and trinkets and that'll just bring joy. Um, just just see that dynamic play out on screen just makes me laugh so hard because like I look at my partner, he's like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, my wife hasn't watched the show, but she is for sure the Frank in this relationship. Yeah, <laughs> really? I, yeah, I'm, I just like that stuff doesn't, I couldn't care less about what color the fucking walls painted. Like, great it it doesn't matter to me like it's not something that even registers in my brain as an important factor i'm just like cool this is a house i live in these are not things that like you know and but to her it it matters and to like i'm not a slob but i'm also like not a clean freak and but having a clean house is this thing that matters to her so same thing like if she's having a hard day or can't do something then it's like okay well i know now this is something that will help like if i do the dishes and clean the kitchen and that's something that when she comes downstairs, it's not going to be a stressor. So yeah, it is like, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. There's another important thing. I just want to point out real quick um, in this scene, like <sighs> Frank is wearing this green uh, plaid shirt. Why is this important? We'll talk about it later. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they, they are having this conversation about like what, what they want. And 
Frank is like, I want to fix up the town and I will do it myself. I just need you to give me a couple things. And Bill's like trying to argue with him. And he's like, I swear to God, if you tell me, if you say the words resource management, I will walk into one of your fucking tripwires. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, we need to do this. And he's like, I want to fix up the stores. And he's like, not the stupid ones, but just the furniture store. And the <laughs> he's like, why the fuck do we need a boutique? We're not having garden parties. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to like reenact the whole thing, but it's amazing. And and I think it's a great, sorry, I just, yeah. there's so many small details to obsess over in this this whole episode. And one of the things I appreciate seeing is long-term love play out. Mm-hmm. And like, I've been with my partner for five years, like it'll be five years this month. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the first few months of us dating we were just like could not get enough and like it sounds so fucking cheesy but it's like yeah i just want to hang out with you all the time and i want to do all these things with you and like it's fine i don't i don't want to see my friends i'll just you know i'll spend time with only you and then it evolves right and like that language of showing love changes and and fighting is just such a normal part of it like there was a point where we would make a big deal about like oh yeah we don't we don't fight right and then when we did start fighting it was like a, oh shit is it are we like a bad couple if we fight and and thank god we go to therapy because our therapists individually were like no that's just welcome to a long-term relationship this is just an expression of love like you two care enough about each other and the things around you for this like stuff like this to happen and seeing that sort of play out like that fight isn't representative of like animosity to me it's like it's representative of like frank wanting bill to have a better life yeah and bill wanting to protect frank from the monstrosities of the world Mm -hmm. um and it comes from a place of love and care and i just love seeing shit like that sorry i just yeah no no for real yeah it's so good i think like it's great what like really makes the scene awesome too is like mm-hmm. Frank wins Bill to his side and then mm-hmm. he's like, We're gonna have friends and it's like, what friends? And he's like, I've been talking to a nice lady on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? So Smash good. cut to a dinner party. <laughs> um yeah. So that that nice woman that he's been talking to is is Tess. R.I.P. Um, yeah. Um, but hey, and I got to come back and be on the show again, um, the actress. And so, yeah, they they have this. Um, they're having this lunch. Bill is at the table with literally his pistol in his hand, pointed at Joel across from him. Mm-hmm. And and Frank's like, "Would you not?" Um, there's a lot of like conversations, and like Tess is like trying to like be very cordial, and Joel the entire time is just like staring at Bill, like. Look, buddy, let's not make this a you or me thing because um, mm-hmm. it's going to get messy. And uh, and yeah, they have like this stuff. And like Frank in this moment is clearly in control of like he he's test test is like, you know, if we end up working together, he's like, no, we are going to work together. Yeah. Um, and then he invites her to the house and Frank is getting pissed. And then he like cocks his gun after. That. Yeah. Like, no. um, the whole time. uh joel is eating and talking to him and he's like explaining to him like this is a great characterization of joel who used to be a contractor and who is a smuggler and a survivor in his own right 
who has like analyzed Bill's town mm-hmm. and understands weaknesses and yes. um, areas that could be exploited and uses that information to convince Bill that this could be a good thing, that yeah. they actually do need each other. Um, but the whole, like, uh, watching this, I, I was really concerned because Pedro Pascal does this thing where he's eating and he has one arm tucked like across his body and you can't see his left hand and he's just eating with his right hand and the whole time that Bill has his gun pointed at him and the entire time I was just like does he have a fucking gun too like is he gonna is he like like has like the gun under the table like haha like you think you got me but I also got you but it never happened but I felt like to me it felt like there was something there and I could just be reading too much into it. But That's it was- very interesting. I did not notice that. And I think you might be onto something because like, you know, in that conversation, like he literally does say, I'm the same. And yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, I think there's merit to that. Um, yeah. Great catch. Um, what I really like about, <laughs> what was that? I said, thanks. It's hypervigilance. <laughs> me living my zombie apocalypse life. Uh, we can move on from that. We don't need to get <laughs> That's for a different show. Um, yeah. I, I really, like you pointed out, like um, there is, in you know, once Frank and Tess walk away, there is this obviously tension between Frank and, uh, sorry, in between Bill and Joel. And Bill very much sees the two of them as like people who are here to exploit them, who are here to exploit the resources that Frank and Bill have. Um, and like you said, like Joel points out the weaknesses in in order to gain some control, right? And what I love is how Nick Offerman plays off of that. Like Bill is still like we're self sufficient, but he knows Joel is right about the fence and that fact that it's going to break down, and he has this "fuck you for being right" kind of energy to him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's just so wonderfully played. And then. Yeah. We also very you know quickly get a glimpse on uh, Frank and Tessa's uh, conversation, where Frank is the one who suggests that oh we should have a code, yeah. and you know eighty songs can be this, and and you get like you know all oh, right that's the thing from the beginning, and yeah. it puts it into perspective that well not yet it doesn't put it into perspective yet, but, but yeah but I yeah it is it's really cool like you can see in this scene what I really loved is that Frank has opened up so much more. Mm-hmm. He seems so much more uh, like vibrant and himself having conversations with Tess than he is um, even with Bill, who like he clearly loves. Uh, but I think it's just like Bill's energy is so intense that it's like, it only makes sense to, to be subdued with Bill. Yes. And with Tess, it's Frank sees like this opportunity to be like, boisterous and alive and like energetic and and i really loved um how that comes out mm-hmm. um and as they're like getting ready to leave joel like tells bill he's like look you yeah you've got it like it's you know Fedra's not gonna come out here you know runners aren't gonna get in but it's gonna be raiders and one day they're gonna come in the night and they're gonna try to take your stuff so yeah. uh i think we could help each other bill kind of dismisses him um and then cut I, to three years later three another three years yeah, yeah. and, and <laughs> we're just speed running this oh, yeah which you know is it's not gonna be good um and so we're 
now 10 years deep for those keeping track. Um, Frank is trying to keep Bill in shape. Yes. Uh, and mind you, so Frank and sorry, real quick, I was just going to say Bill and Frank are when they, when outbreak happens, they are like, I want to say like probably mm-hmm. late thirties, early forties. Yes. That was my read too. Yeah. yeah. Um, as they like enter this long, uh, 20 year process. So, um, yeah. So now, you know, early fifties and Frank is like trying to get Bill to run around the town. Frank and, is clearly far more like physically yeah. healthy than Bill is. And just yeah. like Bill's struggling to keep up. Yeah. Um, and they do a few laps and then Frank tells Bill that he has a surprise for him mm-hmm. and he covers Bill's eyes and, you know, walks him through a few like, bushes and it's it's this great moment where you can see just how much bill has come to trust a person like if you covered bill's eyes on outbreak day you would get fucking shot in the face like yeah, that's for sure. and, and and just seeing this person who's so deeply mistrusting so just uninhibited in how much they trust their partner is very refreshing to see yeah. and you know uh frank leads him uh to this patch, like this field patch that he's made with strawberries growing. Mm-hmm. Um, this and is a beautiful scene. Yeah, I cannot eat a strawberry again in my life without crying. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck? Um, especially, again, like the whole scene is great. Like, Nick Offerman, when he eats a strawberry, like his, he, you would, you would believe like watching this that nick has not eaten a strawberry for 10 fucking years and yeah like, this is the best thing he's ever put in his mouth it's just like he has like this little giggle giggle like, oh so excited about it um it's so good yeah it just and it's just a perfect even that shot of them eating with like the little bit of sunlight coming mm-hmm. in from like the trees and just the two of them looking at each other and just fuck man what the fuck it's so good um, I we love the get, interaction that yes. that Frank just goes. Yeah, I traded one of your guns with Tess for a packet of seeds, and Frank's like, uh, Bill's like, excuse me, what the fuck? <laughs> and then Frank's like, it was one of the little guns. It doesn't. <laughs> it's just the nonchalance of it. It's just, yeah. oh God, I love him. I know it's so good. I couldn't help but think about like the economy that a packet of seeds is worth one handgun, which is like so wild. Um, yeah. Because it's like, yeah, like you still need bullets for it, like what's just going to get you farther in a situation. Um, so good. It's Bill good. says this one thing that encapsulates just the significance of Frank's impact mm-hmm. on his life. He says that I wasn't afraid before I met you. Yeah. And it just. Yeah. I love the implication that um, that to love is to open yourself up to pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so good. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I think like I can absolutely relate to that. Like there's yeah. so many things I think about like that I used to do when I was younger or just like not give a shit about that 
it just can't. Even if I'm not necessarily concerned for myself, there's still concern for my wife. And then that doubled, uh, tripled, quadrupled when I had kids. Um, because then it became all about the family as a whole. So I think like, yeah, it's such a great characterization. And I think it's so important to like, in all the ways that our expectations of the bill we meet have been subverted to, to who bill is actually on the inside and, and what, uh, bill's life is about in these years. Like, I think it's, um, it's, it's a line that's like, you could have probably gotten away with it, not having it in there, but it's so important that it was in there. And I think it's so impactful, like coming from him in this moment. And, yeah. yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Um, God, but then the sun sets. Yes. And, and just like Joel predicted three years ago, shit goes sour and their house gets raided. And well, rather, the town gets raided unsuccessfully, but it's still pretty scary. Like you see, there's like 10 guys out there, 10 people out there approaching. They're like getting ready to like break the lock. And then all of Bill's chips, trip, uh, uh, traps go off. Um, so Bill basically, while I was thinking about this, is like, how's this even possible? At the beginning, he goes to the power plant and turns on the power, like turns on gas. He's the only person in this town using gas. Mm-hmm. So whatever, even if the plant's still not working, they're, it, he yeah. and Frank run out of it. Um, but he rigs these traps, like shoot out like these flamethrowers, like burn people. Um, and he's out there. So we go into like Frank's point of view. Frank wakes up. There's fire going off. The alarm's going off. There's gunshots. Bill's not there, which we need to talk about this specifically. But um runs to the desk, grabs his gun, and tries to go outside to find him. Uh, it it sort of parallels Sarah's sequence where she's looking yeah. for her father and just like runs out into just pandemonium and chaos. Yeah. Which is... yeah. The lighting is actually very similar to um, yeah. like kind of deep orange red. Yep. Um, okay, here's the thing, y'all. If you're in an apocalypse and you have a partner, and somebody sets off the alarms and there's a high risk that you're going to be shooting at people, maybe just wake your partner up. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. My wife and I have had this conversation. I've had like somebody like show up to my house like 1030 on Halloween night at the front oh, door. No. And um, thankfully, nothing went sour. But it was like, with the conversation was around like, if something would have happened, would you have woken me up? And I was like, yes, of course, but nothing happened. But I right. think it's important. Like this, something happened here. You need to wake people up and let them know, like Frank should not be alone in bed. Um, and I think like, it's interesting. I think what it really speaks to, because it's probably like what I've learned. I think what we've learned from this is like Craig and Neil are very intentional, brilliant writers. So there's gotta be a reason for this. And I think it, like what it probably lends itself to is the idea that, Bill has this mode, this survival mode that is like, I'm triggered. I'm not thinking about anything else other than ending this threat. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so their house is getting attacked. Um, yeah. Frank goes to the desk, gets the gun, and uh, and tries to help um, 
Bill defend the property. Yeah. And Bill gets shot in the tummy. And, uh, <laughs> in his little tummy, though. In his little tummy. Uh, and he so yeah frank gets him back inside the house and and bill is like going into this mode of all right i'm gonna die so here's what needs to happen yeah <laughs> and yeah go ahead. it's such a as someone who's been on the receiving end of not someone being shot and telling you that mm-hmm. they're what you need to do when they die but having a parent who is just you know very old and 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 is like every conversation I have with my dad involves like preparation for when he will eventually pass away, and it's so fucking exhausting. But it's like watching that sequence. I'm like, yeah, it it it, it it's such a painful thing to witness mm-hmm. for someone to be like. It doesn't matter where I'm at right now and what's happening to me right now. I just need you to know this, these logistical things. Yeah. Um, and and Frank bless his soul. He's like, yeah. Tell me what your list is. Yeah. <laughs> With the full knowledge and and self assurance that I'm gonna fucking make sure that this man stays alive. He's gonna yeah. feel like such an idiot three days from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a great yeah. sequence so he's like trying to break down like this is what you need to do and one of the things that he keeps coming back to is like call joel call yeah. joel um and then we're like oh this has been cool we get a little four-year jump a little three-year jump another three-year jump and then it's like 10 years later yep. and you're like hang on <laughs> what um and something has happened physically to mm-hmm. frank uh, I initially just assumed it was cancer because um, I'm not like a medical expert. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, listening to the official Last West podcast, is, they just kind of like vaguely was like, it's either MS or ALS. Yeah. It, ALS, yeah. It it yeah. seems like a, it's felt like a neurodegenerative disease, right? Mm-hmm. Where he was losing, slowly yeah. losing motor function and needed yeah. help. And um, so, yeah, so you get this like still... It's sad because they're older and they're, you know, feeling their age and, and Frank's going through this um, uh, process of living with the disease. And, but they're also like, you see things like the house has like, it's full of paintings that Frank has done. And um, Bill very much is like Frank's caretaker. Yeah. And, and he's watering the plants. And he's watering plants. Yep. Uh, and he still winks at Frank, um, which is very cute. And, uh, yeah, and so they're going through it, and like they get to like meal time, and Frank's like still like eating, you know, yeah. red meat and <laughs> like a hearty meal, and poor Frank is like eating soup, um, and didn't remember to take his meds, and uh, they like Bill has to help him get into bed, um, because Frank just can't get around on his own, literally, like you know has to be in a wheelchair to, to get around the, the the property yeah and and you can really get the sense that that this is so like he's truly and genuinely crippled in the sense that like he constantly needs mm-hmm. someone to do everything for him and that's such a like imagine just like i mean 
I hope and pray that people never have to experience that in their lives. But just the idea of like losing all control over your own actions and your own movements. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like such a debilitating feeling that and you really see that in Frank in these sequences. Even yeah. though Bill is trying his best to like do everything for him. You see that Yeah. That the toll it's taken. Guess, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately that frustration culminates as they go to sleep and they wake up and Frank has gotten himself into his wheelchair from the bed and bill is immediately upset uh because there's a lot of like medical implications that could happen like he could have fallen down and hurt himself he could fall asleep in his chair and his feet could turn blue and and so yeah um yeah bill's just incredibly upset because he sees this as frank not caring for himself whereas frank sees this as like his final sort of stand against like he doesn't want to go out on this note like he knows that i'm going to have one last good day mm-hmm. and that'll yeah, be he the end him, of he's this. like you're going to fall asleep in the chair and he's like i promise you i won't he's like why he's like cuz this is my last day and there's this like long pause as they kind of stare at each other oh, and then um and then they <laughs> They switch scenes and they're sitting next to each other, but there's a distance. Um, yeah. And Bill's sitting on the couch and just crying, like, uh, um, because Frank is done. And uh, Frank calls him over and has a conversation with him and is like, I, I want this day to be special. And this is what I want. And he lays out instructions for all the things that he wants to happen for his last day, um, with the last of them being putting this baggie of pills into his wine. Um, And Bill doesn't want to. And Frank hits him with the old, uh, do you love me? (laughs) (laughs) Always gets you. I know. Every time. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, then love me how I want to be loved. And that's like, fuck. Ed, this is so brutal. Um, yeah. It's it's still like it's it's amazing because it still finds ways to be a beautiful scene, but it is it's so fucking brutal. Um, but yeah, like Bill, eternally the optimist, is going through it, and like I love how, or I'm sorry, Frank, eternally optimist is going mm-hmm. through it, and like I love how like how. Um, open he is about like look like i'm not gonna pretend like every day was perfect like we still had shitty days but yeah um something that really stands out to me about the whole interaction is is what um that speech that frank gives right that Mm -hmm. it's very honest in its reflection of the times they've spent together that not all of it has been great some of it has been really bad but the best days of his life were with Bill. Yeah. Um, and even though we've been with them for such a short amount of time, it you really see that. Like you, you're convinced 
of their love by this point. So like watching them go through, like watching them confront this is such a uncomfortable and like sad position to be in. You know how you mentioned that they sit far apart from each other at the beginning of that sequence? There's mm-hmm. a point where Bill shifts closer to Frank and they hold each other's hands mm-hmm. after Frank gives that little speech. Um, yeah. And yeah, God. It's so good. Um, oh, one of the other things um, I think it's important to point out that Frank wanted was to be married. So, Indeed. Yeah. His request was, we go to the boutique, we get some clothes, you're going to wear what I want you to wear, and we're going to get married, have a nice meal. And then we get this like really beautiful circling back to that first day that they met each other. Um, Bill makes the same meal, uh, same wine, sets the plate down, turns it the way that he thinks it should be turned. Frank's turns it back <laughs> the way that he actually <laughs> wants it turned. Um, and yeah, and they have this meal uh, as much as they can eat. And then Bill gets another wine and pours it for them both and pours the bag um, for Frank. And he's like, is this enough? And he's like, yep. And it's like this, it's like a very quiet, like you, Bill, obviously every, as everything's approaching, Bill is having a very hard time with this. Um, Frank, I think had the benefit of like probably processing the idea of doing this for a long time mm-hmm. uh, and then sort of sprung it on Bill that day. I get um, the sense that they've yeah. talked about it in the past and mm-hmm. it went from like a ridiculous notion to like a, no, I need this. To like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I feel like Bill has also had time up until... Because when he recommends it, when he says this is going to be my last day, you don't see Bill being like, that's fucking stupid or crazy. There is this like silent like sense of betrayal, but eventual resignation to it that made me feel like they've had this conversation before. Mm. It's just I, Bill can... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It's just that Bill has never been able to quite come to terms with it yeah i my read was a little bit different um in that i feel like frank had the time to consider this and obviously was going through the pain and it's hard to like but as we know when you're going through like physical pain it's hard to have somebody understand that even if they're helping take care of you like you just you can't transfer that pain to somebody else to show them like this is what i'm actually going through Um, and so my read was like, Frank was going through this, was seeing how much Bill was doing for him, was understanding the frustrations of everything going on, like no longer can paint all this stuff and makes the decision. And Bill is just practical. Like Bill understands what Mm. to the best that he can, what's going on with Frank and loves him so much, he understands like where this is coming from. And I think that there's a part of him that knew probably deep down, like this would be easier for this would be easier for him if there was no more pain. And so for me, it was like I could see how he could get this news now. And his reaction is just to not to explode, but to turn inward and to like process this 
in a very like sad and solemn way, but also not fight against it, knowing that fighting against it means that his partner is going to go through more pain. So that was like, yeah, who knows? But that, yeah, it's interesting how we've had different reasons. Yeah, I I think that's a very valid read on the situation as well. Um, And I think both work. I yeah, I wonder sure. what the intent was, um, but I I like that yeah. I like that there's multiple plausible ways of like that culmination of sequencing. So yeah, and I think it's important too because like we're talking about like this love story, and yes, this love story focuses on two people, but it's like the the idea of this of this love, this long term love, should be something that is universal, and so having the sort of vagueness to go into it from a different angle depending on how who's looking at it like like i said in the beginning like i feel like this could have been like its own individual art film and i feel like this is like a point where it's like how do you interpret this and that's yeah. like however you get there's is what works for the story yeah um yeah so old practical bill um waits for frank to drink the wine and then slams his own wine and Frank realizes that Bill just drugged the entire bottle. Yeah. It, even Frank realizes that he wouldn't be so calm and comfortable with what I've just done. Mm-hmm. If, like, he's like, something's up here. And there's that immediate realization, oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, this really great conversation about, like, look you were my purpose taking care of you was my purpose and i'm happy and i don't want to try to do this without you so so we go out together um and yeah they go they just go to bed and uh and it's very sad and uh audience full of tears and then we we come back to our other present day, duo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, present day. Which I'm guessing that this happened two days prior. If I'm if my timekeeping is correct, um, I I think that they've been dead for a hot minute. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure what the exact timeline is. The reason I say that is because the music, right? Right. So yeah, the music gets cued for '80s music. Um, which I'm assuming Bill does when he's getting ready for like dinner would be my guess, like, you know, in the evening. And then, uh, and that doesn't happen until they're already leaving the apartment. Right. And Joel and Ellie's. Time. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it could be just like that it defaulted, uh, whatever, but uh, I am curious, like how much time. All that yes. to say, uh, <laughs> they show up and uh immediately joel's like "Mm, something seems wrong yeah like it's too quiet uh the flowers aren't watered flowers aren't watered the door screens like swinging open um and there's a like a recurring theme over the past three episodes where joel will say to ellie stay put and ellie just fucking never listens yeah uh not a single time no uh once at the end of this episode um and he's like all right stay out here and she just falls in the house and uh he's looking around the door is closed to the bedroom but i don't think it's locked because he's about to open it and then the wind shuts the front door 
and yeah. he goes to look for Ellie and Ellie's holding a note and she's like, yeah, it said to whomever or probably Joel. And I figured I fell under whomever. <laughs> Which is a great like little shit justification. Yeah. Fucker. yeah. <laughs> Read the note. Um, and, but, but Joel doesn't want to read it himself. So he just like, That's right. Right. yeah, Ellie, just read it to me. And um, she goes through it and talks about like how Bill was like glad when outbreak day happened and all the people yeah. were gone. Uh, yeah. I love that note because it, it, it speaks to, despite them being in this begrudging friendship or having this respect for each other, there were things about Joel that, Bill still did not know and I'm sure the other way around as well like what he thought might have been like a good gift or a good note for Joel like acknowledging that we're similar and you know alluding to the fact that like you might feel similarity to me about the outbreak not knowing that you know Joel lost his daughter on that day yeah. and it's probably not something you would say to someone yeah. If you had that context about their life. And then again, ending the note with Tess and saying that use what I've given you um, for Tess and, and knowing that Joel, like not knowing that Joel's <laughs> failed in that by the time he reads it is just, it's like such a double whammy of like, ouch. So brutal. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's having like I think it really it's really speaks to like how much Joel shut himself off to after Sarah's death, and uh, and just like only cared about like survival, and Tommy up to a point. I mean, still cares about Tommy. Obviously, that's where he was trying to go. But like, you know, his brother wanted to do his own thing, um, and so yeah, he he reads the rest of the note and uh goes outside and he has like this like moment of like trying to recollect himself and then he finds the truck and <laughs> opens the hood and of course there's no fucking battery in the truck uh, <laughs> because why would there be um but because bill is a prepper there is components for a battery in the fridge um so he's just got to build it and charge it and uh he gets it set up. And I think this is like a very interesting turn uh, in the relationship to Ellie, where I think after all of this, the loss of his daughter, the loss of Tess, um, the loss of his only other two friends, uh, and probably Bill's words playing loudly in his head of, you know, save who you can. Um, or just save one person. Uh, he comes back in and he's like, "Show me your arm again." And he shows me <laughs> arm. And he's like, "All right, here's what we're gonna do. I got this brother across the world. He's be a firefly, and maybe we can find those people and get you." Yeah. Um, and then he breaks down some ground rules. No talking about Tess. Uh, what was the second rule? No talking about Tess. No, oh, no sharing yeah, no any sharing sort of backstories. Personal history, yeah. Yeah. 
and you do what I say when I say it. And my favorite thing is the third thing. He's like, he just asks her to repeat it, and then she doesn't. <laughs> she <laughs> she <laughs> paraphrases. Yeah, which is just. Uh, it. I think this is one of those like lifted straight from the um, game yeah. uh, exchange. That yeah. I'm glad that they left it the way it was. The mm-hmm. way they deliver the lines changes. I think between Pedro and um, uh, Troy Baker, but yeah. Which is both wonderful versions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is like a weird, like not even a nitpicky thing, but I think like, you, you know, the way that Troy says Ellie as Joel has become like, like you hear it, right? And I think like yeah. the way that Pedro says Ellie is like, it's so, it's not, it's not bad, but it's just like, it was jarring when he's calling out for her. I'm like, wait, <laughs> enunciating things that I didn't know um but yeah i still pedro pascal's perfect um but yeah so anyway uh they start to get ready and then they're like all right cool here's the bunker ellie Mm -hmm. sees a wall full of guns and she's like can i have a gun he's like no (laughs) he's like there's a whole fucking wall man um it's like a wordless exchange (laughs) this time he doesn't even say no he just looks at her and she's like fine uh so they start to get all their stuff together um I'm still not convinced he took enough, uh, but, you know, I get it, I guess, maybe. And you see an outfit change for both of them after they shower. <sighs> yeah. And, so. um, you know, that's Ellie in her new, also lifted straight from the game. Mm-hmm. Um, t-shirt. Yeah. Just, I'm loving watching the pieces fall in place. They start to drive away. Oh, but before they leave, there's Wait, a quick... hang on. <laughs> One other thing about this wardrobe change. Remember how I said Frank was wearing a green plaid shirt? Mm-hmm. Joel wears Frank's shirt. Yes. And it happens to be the, like, green plaid shirt from the game as well. Just yep. not as ratty <laughs> as the game's version. Yet. Um, but yeah. Go ahead. Um... While, you know, they're showering and changing and whatnot, and Ellie's poking around the house, she finds a gun mm-hmm. in one of the drawers. In fact, Frank's she finds death. Frank's gun. Yeah. And by the time Joel comes out to see her, she quickly hides it away. Mm-hmm. And, um... <laughs> Sorry, did you hear that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's why I reminded her to eat food. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, she now has a gun. After three episodes of trying so hard to get yeah. one, she finally has one. Um, to get in the car, and before, by the way, when like Joel comes out, she like compliments him, and she's he's just like, "Shut up!" And I yeah. just love that. That makes me so happy. Yeah, she tells him like he looks pretty or something like that. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then they get ready to leave. <laughs> Ellie. Has never been in a car before. Doesn't and, know what a seatbelt is. <laughs> like a fucking spaceship. Um, which is so funny. Uh, and they start to drive off and she puts on some music. And of course, it's Linda Rodstant. Um, long, long, long time. time. And then we get a view from a window, which is just like, that's a fun Last of Us Easter egg. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's the end of the episode. I do want to just point out, like, I think it's really cool and beautiful 
that like yes bill leaves all of like these supplies behind but they still take like pieces of frank with them in the shirt and the gun and that like um there's that part of him that gets to live on through the story um yes yeah um it's so good it's okay before we end the episode i want to theorize quickly about Mm -hmm. how frank's gun comes into play okay i think there's a pretty as players of the game a pretty obvious point in which the gun will turn up yeah um and i will not spoil it but Mm -hmm. i do think it won't be a moment of self-preservation, but moment, but rather a moment of protecting Joel. Yeah, is what I'll say. Yeah, I yeah, for sure. Uh, this next episode is going to take a big tonal shift away from episode three. Mm-hmm. Um. I was talking about earlier like how there's not been a lot of like big combat moments and I feel like next episode is going to be like action packed stress. Yeah. Uh stress in a different way than episode 3 was um had stressful moments. Um but yeah, I am very excited. Uh I don't know, episode 3 is going to go down in history as one of those. Yeah. It's like the Ozymandias episode from Breaking Bad in my head. Like, (laughs) you know, just the the one thing people turn it like, oh, this is a piece of art. And I'm like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Which it is. It is. Um, But like, I I, I foresee that level of reverence for Mm -hmm. this particular episode as well. Yeah. I was talking to our friend Danny. Uh, Danny, I posted on Twitter like, can we talk about episode three? And I was like, Danny, I'm about to watch it for a third time. He's like, yeah. <laughs> literally already watched it three times. Uh, all the gays are coming out in full force and support. <laughs> and I love that for us. Yeah. I mean, not apparently not all of them. Um, because because they die at the end. And like I understand that. Like, I think it's the same thing. I think we can quickly talk about like I I feel the same way sometimes in representation around like black characters in media where it's like, this was an amazing story. But why do they have to die? Right. Um, you know, and I think that Craig and the team do an, a really good job of like doing their best to check all the boxes to like, this is the story that has to fit in, but also um, how do we do these characters justice? And yeah. Um, yeah. So. I think what, like, I have seen a lot of stories where being queer means tragedy mm-hmm. where where there's this inherent like just by virtue of being you know whether it's a person of color or whether it's like being a gay person that mm-hmm. your life will end in tragedy because of this you know particular virtue about you and i fucking hate that shit like it it grinds my gears but i think there is a consciousness to how this episode was written. And the very fact that Bill just says that this isn't the tragic suicide at the end of the play, right? Like this isn't yeah. a tragedy. Like in the context of this apocalypse, these are two old senior citizens, men who've probably had one of the best apocalypse experience yeah. as compared to the rest of the entire world. 
who are deciding, who are choosing to go out on their own terms as opposed to like dying in this like very degrading way of like having your body being sort of taken over and and yeah. and and in a way like just you know assaulted by this alien virus right like this alien pathogen whatever you want to call it um so i i get that it ends in this somber tone but i still thought it was like a happy story i found it to be like a story of people who've lived a full life who've lived a a life without feeling shame for who they are without like or at least overcoming the shame of who they are um and and going out happy and yeah. that's the thing about these sad queer stories is that it doesn't end on a happy note and death doesn't mean like death isn't bad do you know what i mean like i i think yeah. it plays with these interesting themes and tldr i disagree with people who <laughs> think that this is a bad ending like yeah. yeah no definitely i mean it's it it really is so good it's if yeah watch just at least watch this episode if you're only listening to us talk again we love you so much we appreciate you i'm glad that you enjoy listening to our voices talk about a thing that we love so much fucking go watch episode three <laughs> even if you want to skip you watch. all the joel and ellie parts it's fine like i'm telling you this story is incredible and our recap of it doesn't do it the justice that it deserves so um yeah i'm so excited for the show oh news uh we don't have a new segment but oh, um, we have a new segment now we have a new segment now the last of us got renewed for a second season indeed <laughs> um, so okay we talked about time yeah <laughs> all, right. all right yeah so that said i'm you might be right in that <laughs> <laughs> the first game is a single season. But I don't know. <laughs> I'm interested to see how they end up. I love the hesitation to just be like, yeah, Ronnie, you're right. I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, but at like, so two things. Like, one, obviously, not knowing that they're going to get a second season, you want the story to end in a place that makes sense. So I, mm -hmm. I'm interested to see like if it ends in the place that we expect it to end or if they do something different in the hopes that they got a second season. I don't know. The other part is that Neil says he doesn't like filler. Mm -hmm. And so he wants to get into um, the second game as quickly as possible. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that could be explored in the timeline between the first game and the second game time jump. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, very excited for the idea that we're going to get another season. So. Me too. Um, I think they're already doing great jobs of like placing the railroads for the second season, especially for Ellie, particularly for reasons oh we talked about earlier. Yeah, there's going to be a scene in season two that's going to absolutely break us. And um, I'm not prepared for that. After watching episode three, I'm not prepared to be more broken than I already am. <laughs> so. It's fine. We like doing this to ourselves. We like it, yeah. Some for some reason we are 
uh, masochistic. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening, y'all. Uh, we'll see you next week for the action-packed episode four. Um, that's it. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> There's a lot to go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> We're so good at this. <laughs> I know. Amazing. We have the same exact mic. Wait, really? Yeah, we've known this since. We've I didn't. Been- I don't remember. Really? Oh my god, we're the best of friends. I, <laughs> I <know>. love that. <laughs> I don't know why oh. that makes me so happy, though, Art, but it does. It's, it's good. No, it's great. <laughs> I, I think it's funny that you forgot um, because we've been doing this. Uh, I don't know. I just maybe it's your podcast voice. I just thought your mic was like insanely better. Like like the best possible mic that exists and i'm like no it's just you doing all the heavy lifting thank you no what that means now is now we have to join the discourse um going around twitter about what mic you should oh, have be mics or not oh jesus fuck i saw that i was like i don't i don't even care about i just fucking i was like see less of this and keep moving <laughs> for sure um incredible i will I'll tack this on to the end of the episode Um, because it's important for people to know. Uh, Get a Samson QTU. It's inexpensive. It's a USB. It sounds great. Uh, Listen to our voices if that's not good enough. Listen to Noir's voice, not mine as much. No, listen to Indrani's voice Um, because high key, it's amazing. Um, So, yes, back to to the other love in this podcast. Uh, Yes.